Father, this morning we come to you, Lord, with heart full of gratitude above all for the gift of your Son. We are here together as your children, as your family, only because of Jesus, the Word that became flesh and dwelt among us. The one who offered himself to the Father once and for all as a perfect sacrifice so that we could become God's own children by faith. We want to thank you, Father. We just want to thank you. Now as we come to the ministry of the word, I pray once again, you help us in our weakness to keep our hearts and our minds stayed on you our ears, to hear your voice, to learn of you, because there's only one teacher, one rabbi, it's you, Lord. Speak to us, teach us, strengthen us. For your word says the word of God is held to a man's whole body, soul and spirit. Help us. Help us, O Lord, to receive your word. The implanted word, receive it by faith, for it has the power to work in those who believe. Help us to believe. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The word of God has power to work in those who believe. I hope you remember yesterday, I mean last Sunday's message, and the messages are that we work over it over and over again, okay? Over and over again. Just don't listen on a Sunday and go back, because what will happen is that the fact is that most of us will forget, all of us, including the preacher, forgets 80% of what he preached, okay? We need to listen over and over again, because God speaks to us. You know what? Every message I preach, including the pastor's conference, which is in English and Telugu, I listen to it over again, every word, so that I know I have been heard, so that I need to correct if I have gone wrong, and so that I can learn from myself. Okay, every message I listen, always. Okay, so make it a practice, because... It helps us. It also teaches us to be more grateful, like I was telling yesterday. If only we saw through time and through God's eyes, we are the most blessed, most privileged generation ever. More blessed. Yet there is no, not so much gratitude in us if you were to really know reality. I was telling yesterday for those who came for the meeting, we, let's look at our generation, the way we live, actually, the way we live. We live in more luxury than the greatest emperor ever lived in history. Be it Caesar, be it Akbar, you name Alexander, name any emperor in history. They did not have electricity. They did not have homes like ours. They didn't have comfort like ours. 
Their food was not cooked like ours. They did not have heating. They did not have air conditioning. They did not have fans. They did not have almost everything we have today. If Alexander had to come to India, it took him at least a couple of years. If Akbar had to move from Delhi to Hyderabad, probably months. You and I can go to Dubai and come back the same day. We don't understand how blessed we are. How blessed we are. That emperors about whom we study in history did not have the fortune to live like us. So, it keeps giving you a right perspective of life and you can say, Lord, thank you, Lord, I was born in 21st century and not in 1580. Okay? Be happy and be grateful. God is good. Now coming back to the word. Over the weeks we've been looking at different attributes of God. Attributes of God. God is holy. Okay, that's what his nature is. But other than that, there are different attributes of God. Why is that we study so much about God? Simply because if we understand God better, we will understand what we are meant to be. The old Anglican handbook says, the whole purpose of man is to know God and forever enjoy Him. Purpose of salvation is that we might know God and become like God more and more like God. Not in terms of power, but in terms of character. So if you look at the past few weeks, we have looked at some attributes of God which are connected with relationship. God is just and his righteousness springs from that. The scepter of his kingdom is righteousness. God is just. God is merciful. That is the outworking of the fact that God is love. God is humble, which is very difficult for any other religion to figure it out. Except those who have known Christ, no religious person will ever able to figure out that God is actually humble. But God is humble. And therefore, he relates easily to the humble. Or the humble easily experience God. God is just. God is merciful. God is humble. These are all different attributes of God. Keep this three in mind because this is relational. And God wants us to be just, to be merciful, and to be humble. This morning, we are going to make a little tangent from our regular message, but we'll come back to it, okay? Because we are just seven days from Christmas. Just seven days. Jesus was not definitely born on December 25th. Okay, definitely not. Definitely not. But Christmas is there anyway. He was born. We don't know when, but he was born. The apostolic age and other ages never celebrated Christmas. If you know the history of the nation, everybody looks up to United States of America in their history celebration of Christmas was prohibited by law because it was considered pagan understand okay things have changed Christmas is over there most of the things connected with Christmas has got nothing to do with Christ or the Bible but 
you cannot deny the fact Christ was born. So there is a day and government gives us a holiday. And we are all Christians, so we celebrate. Okay? We celebrate it in such a way that we don't offend the unbeliever or the believer. Try to be moderate. But if you read the Christmas story, it's interesting. We hear and see so many people, so many voices. So many voices. We hear in that Christmas narrative, which is primarily found in Matthew and Luke. The angels speak. They not only speak, they sing also. Zachariah speaks. Elizabeth speaks. Mary speaks and bursts into a song. Even Simeon and Anna, you can add them to the Christmas story, just 40 days apart, right? They also speak and they prophesy. But in the entire Christmas narrative, you see the Magi speaks, though it's probably two years later, Herod speaks, the Levites speak, the priests speak, all of Jerusalem speaks. Even the shepherds speak. But in the Christmas story, there is only one man and one person alone who does not speak. Not one word in the entire gospel account does he speak. But he's central to the Christmas story. And his name is Joseph. If you read, Joseph doesn't speak. I call him the forgotten father. Okay, that's the title of today's message. The forgotten father. Forgotten not by God, but by man. You see, we, we talk about faith. Day in and day out, we hear about faith, 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 faith. But we very seldom hear about the obedience that comes by faith. The first doctrinal text in the Bible begins and ends pointing at the obedience that comes by faith. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 5, scripture says, Through him we have received grace and apostleship. For obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Obedience to the faith. When he finishes the epistle to the church in Rome, in chapter 16 and verse 25, 26, he says, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. If you take obedience from faith, we end up with another religion, just another religion. Christianity just becomes another religion. Okay? Why I bring this is what characterizes characterizes Joseph is his obedience. For a moment think, every man, every woman sitting here today, even you teenagers, because Mary must have been 15 or 16, okay? Every man, every woman sitting here, all of us, think for a moment, ask this question. If God had changed his plans and Jesus was to be born in the 21st century and not 2,000 years ago, could God have chosen any one of us to be the foster son, father of his son, or the mother of his son? Could he have chosen? 
ask, think for a question, think for a minute, because it's sometimes very easy to think, okay, 2,000 years ago, let's fast forward it. Let's think Jesus is going to be born in 2017. Could he choose us? Why did God choose Abraham? Because he knew he would obey. Why did God choose Mary? Because he knew she would obey. Why did God choose Ruth the Moabites? Because God knew she would obey. Why did God choose Joseph? Because he knew he would obey. God needed a man to be a father, to be a mentor to his only begotten son. God needed a man to be a father and a mentor to his only son. And he chose a simple carpenter called Joseph. Simple. Watch Joseph. Every time you see God speak to him in dreams, usually, you see Joseph listening and immediately waking up and obeying. At great personal pain and hardship. In the Gospels, what you see is a Joseph who does not talk, but always acts. Joseph is a man of obedience. Zechariah, when he heard the angel, saw the angel, not a dream, saw the angel and heard the angel, he doubted. Therefore, he was mute until he saw what was prophesied. Mary, when angel appeared and was given the great news, asked a question. Joseph asks no questions, never doubts, just rises and obeys. In Matthew 1 and verse 24, scripture says, Then Joseph, being aroused from the sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. If you want to define this man, Joseph, the silent father, it is always this. He did. He was a man who did what God told him. No questions asked. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 13 to 14, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child, his mother, by night, and departed for Egypt. No questions asked. Try shifting, then you will know how hard it is. Basava, am I right? He just shifted on Friday. No questions. Packed. Left. Chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. Yeah, 19 to 22. I missed it. Okay. Same chapter. Verse 19. Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise. Take the young child and his mother. Go to the land of Israel for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose. He 
he took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard Achilles was reigning over Judah instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. Something common between the first Joseph in the book of Genesis and the second Joseph in the new covenant, both dreamt. That's common between two of them. They were dreamers and they acted too. What we fail to notice often is that Joseph's obedience is as great, if not greater than that of Mary's. Because Mary knew that the baby was of God. Joseph believed by faith. It is easier for Mary to believe because she knew. She was the only one person who was absolutely sure this baby is of God. But Joseph believed by faith. An angel did not appear to him, just a dream. God spoke to him in a dream. When Joseph first steps into the Christmas story, he is in a very, very painful situation. Very painful if you read the Bible carefully, Matthew and Luke's account. Very painful situation. When did Joseph first know Mary was pregnant? How did he come to know? The Bible is sometimes very silent about so many things, right? Yes, we know about the dream. We know about the dream. But he knew about the pregnancy before the dream. Because he was planning to put her away quietly. That's when the dream came. So when did he know? How did he know? When exactly, at what stage of the pregnancy did he know? This is my conjecture, okay? My presumption, I believe I am right because I will use scripture. I believe he came to know when she was three months pregnant. Why do I say so? Answer. When Mary had her visitation from angel Gabriel and the news was gone, given, and I believe she conceived, the Holy Spirit came upon her, and she conceived. Let's see what scripture says. In Luke chapter 1, verse 38. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be unto me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to the city of Judah. Right? And entered in the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. Why? Because the angel said, if you find it difficult to believe, go to your cousin Elizabeth's house. She also in his old age has conceived. So, she hears the news and I believe she conceives and she gets up and she goes to her cousin's home, Judah. And verse 56, and Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. I believe that's when she broke the news to Joseph. Three months later when she comes, she's three months. First, as we call today, first trimester is over. Okay? And she comes back. It's a pretty difficult situation. She comes back from Judea to Nazareth, three months pregnant. Scripture does not record Joseph's reaction when he's aware of the fact. All we have is Matthew 1, 18 and 19. Where it says, 
Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. That's how we are introduced to the whole situation. It may not be a big deal today, but definitely in the age and the time and the place they lived, the Orthodox Jewish society. Okay, today they say in US 40% of the children are born out of wedlock, so it's no big deal. But it's a big deal, the time they are living in. In all probability, Mary told him the peculiar story of her pregnancy. I mean, imagine your fiancé coming and telling you, you know what, I'm pregnant, three months pregnant, and you're pregnant? Yeah, the Holy Spirit came upon me. I mean, he, I don't know, poor Joseph. He looks at Mary and he says, you're such a nice girl. Can you change your story, please? He had very few choices. And the choices were all according to the law. One of the choices which the law gave him was go public and have her stoned. Another choice the law gave her was publicly shame her and give her a bill of divorce. The second one would have been the options most men would have taken during that time because they didn't want to stone and get in trouble with the Roman law. But if you opted for option number two, publicly shame her and her family and get out of that situation, then you are out of the mess. And also, all the shame is on the woman and there is nothing no doubt cast on you and you can marry somebody and move on with life. But scripture says he chose a third option to put her away quietly. Put her, he chose a third option to put her away quietly. Let us look at what he did not do. He does not call out her parents and shame Mary. He does not call the elders of the community so they in return could condemn the girl and her family. On the other hand, he cannot acknowledge the child is his. Then he would be lying. Then he would be unjust to the law. He does not want to hurt Mary or the unborn child. Then he would be not merciful. He had to be both. He had to be just and merciful. Therefore he chose to put her away quietly. By choosing to put her away, he chose to be just. By choosing to put her away quietly, he chose to be merciful. The first thing we notice about the man God chose to mentor his son is he was a just man. And God picked a man to mentor his son. He picked a just man who in a very, very difficult, painful situation, a just man who also chose mercy. Remember the messages we've been hearing? Here was one man in the most painful 
situation in his life, decided to do justly. But to be just, here, he should not sanction her sin. He has to uphold the law. That is, he has to put her away. To love mercy was to take the least painful way for Mary and the unborn child. That was to put her away secretly or quietly. Therefore, Joseph still speaks. Though he doesn't speak a word in scriptures, he still speaks to us. Our world is broken by sin. And often we have to take painful decisions in a world in which we live, which is broken by sin and the consequences of sin. But we do not have to do it with the spirit of anger or malice or revenge. We can still uphold the righteousness of God without being vindictive. We can still extend mercy even while upholding justice. That's the first lesson Joseph speaks to us this Christmas. It is at this point, at this point, when he thinks about putting her away quietly, that God intervenes. And in verse 20, scripture says, while he thought about these things. As a young man, probably, I mean, theologians are totally confused about Joseph. They don't know whether he was young or old. So theologians will say from he was 20 to 80 years old. Totally, because he's so silent. Nobody knows anything about Joseph. So there is. But I believe definitely he was a young man. And if you think this young man's life has fallen apart. It's a very simple scripture that talks about while he thought about these things. But it have been sleepless nights, pacing in the night back and forth in his room or his hut or house, whatever he must have had. Pain of the breach of trust. And also what should I do? How do I do? What course of action? In a close-knit community like the Jewish villages, it was impossible for the story not to have been known. From later life, 30 years later in Jesus' life, you know from the Inendos, the Pharisees make, the story is known about Jesus' birth, that he was conceived before marriage. So it's impossible for the little community not to know. Mary is pregnant, and they are not even yet married. And on top of that, she was away for three months. And then God speaks. It's a very personal when God speaks to people in their, the just people, righteous people in their pain. He's very personal. He calls him by name. Joseph, son of David. Reminds him who he is, which line he comes from, son of David. Don't be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. What? For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Maybe Mary must have told him. And now in his dream he hears God say that. The problem is when God speaks, you and I have only two choices. Either one, humble yourself 
and obey or to say no it's too much for me i can't handle this i can't in joseph's case he humbled himself and obeyed and probably in all probability at great personal cost for when you choose to obey god often you are misunderstood you are scorned and you become the subject of gossip and slander joseph could have walked away from it easily and say no i can't do it i'm not going to trust a voice in a dream i want to walk by sight the reality is she's pregnant and i have no hand in it and i cannot live with this i'm walking away but he believed and he chose to obey and people will say awful things even when they are ignorant of the facts this is a part of the cost of being obedient to the call of god obeying god always comes with a price tag the denial of self joseph will always carry the stigma no one will ever know the truth none of us would know what it is to live in joseph's shoes none of us know no one will ever know the truth neither he nor mary can explain nobody is going to understand and he has to live with it either they will believe the couple had no self control or they will believe mary took him for a ride and god chose a man who would be the earthly father to his only begotten son he picked a man who was not only just who not only loved mercy above all who chose to walk humbly before god Are you get it? Maika asked this question. What do you? What do you seek? What does the Lord seek from you? What does the Lord seek from you? To be just, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. The New Testament opens with a man who was just, who loved mercy, and walked humbly before God. And God said, "You." will mentor my son can you imagine the day after he saw the dream and heard from god he would have gone to mary and looked her in her eyes and said i'm glad i wasn't hasty in my decision i'm glad i didn't jump into something and put you away i believe you i believe what you said I am so glad you were not unfaithful to our God. Just think that's a Bible leaves it to our imagination. You can be very romantic and imagine all that. Joseph holding Mary's hands looking into her eyes and says, "Thank you Mary. You were faithful to God and to me. I just thank God I didn't jump into any conclusion and act rashly." Then you must ask Mary. Mary, do you know what is the name of the child to be? I know God told me Mary said he did I also know 
I don't know how they did it. They said, okay, okay, let us see if it is the same. You write in your piece of paper. There was no paper. I will write in my piece of paper. It is interesting, right? Matthew 1, 21. She will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. God told Joseph, you shall name your son, no, name her son, not your son, her son, Jesus. And Luke one thirty one, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Wow. It was a gentle way of God assuring them both, this is of God. You know, this is of God. Separately to both of them, God gave the name of his son. They were open to ridicule and shame from everyone else. But they both knew what his name is, Jesus. They both knew. They also knew God was with them. God not only asks us to share in the ridicule and the shame when we obey his will, but we also see the other side. They too, Joseph and Mary, were the first two humans on earth to experience God as Emmanuel. God is with us. For them, after 4,000 years of human history, it was a different thing altogether. They could say, God is Emmanuel. I mean, imagine Joseph going around tapping Mary on her tummy and saying, God is with us. And Mary is saying every day, God is with us. What an experience they know. God is with us. For all the shame and the humiliation and the hardship they must have gone through. See, if you look at Jewish history, what happens is that in a situation like this, where you have a girl who is pregnant before marriage, there is no public wedding. The rabbis refuse. The only possibility is that you have a quiet secret wedding which some rabbi will be willing to do. And therefore, there is always a stigma attached. No, that this couple, the girl was pregnant before marriage and it was a, what we call today in English, it was a shotgun wedding. Quick wedding to escape the embarrassment. And then six months later, the baby comes. Okay? So for all the shame and the humiliation, they must have gone through, they had one incredible consolation which no man had. What is that? God is with us. The joy of God being with them. Therefore God's ways are not our ways. All we can do is when you hear from God, be open to his ways and trust and obey. If God spoke to Mary through the angel Gabriel, to Joseph, no angel was sent. Only a dream. But both obeyed. Obedience to God's will is the key. Why can't God choose many of us? The question is, will we obey? Reason is, if you look in Joseph and Mary's situation, often our decisions are based on what will people think of me. That is one thing that neither Mary nor Joseph factor in. 
making their decision. If Mary had factored in, okay, I don't understand what you're talking about, but what are you talking about? I have known no man. I am engaged to be married. And if I'm going to get pregnant, what will people think of me? That's one question she never asked. When God said, the girl you are exposed to is pregnant, don't be afraid to take her as your wife. That child is of God. Joseph did not ask, what will people think of me? If either of them had thought or put people's opinion ahead of God's will, they would have turned their back to the will of God in their lives. And one of the reasons believers never progress further beyond their initial stages of salvation is because they put the opinion of man above the will of God. What will man say? What will this one say? That's why it takes great courage to be obedient to God. It doesn't matter what people think or say about you or me. Once you know the will of God, we have only one choice. Say yes. doesn't matter what man says or say no and say, I'm sorry, I can't, I, I, I want a good opinion of man. If you go through the Bible, what marks out the men and women of faith in the Bible, it is not so much their works. The works were done by God through them. It was often their obedience. We look at their works Great works. The works were done by God. What we forget to see is their obedience. For Abraham to live the hour of the Chaldeans was not easy. How do you explain? When you are so well settled and prospering in the hour of the Chaldeans, one of the most prominent cities of that day, and you are moving to a place you don't even know where you are going, and what do you say? God spoke to me. How do you explain? When you are settled in your profession and sitting in a city doing well and God speaks to you and you tell everybody pack up and go to a village. How do you explain? Can you explain? Could Abraham explain? Could Joseph explain? Could Mary explain? And then on top of that, walking that land for a hundred years, not one year, two years, a hundred years, forever moving. Everybody is building houses and settling down. He alone cannot build, he cannot settle. Abraham, why are you moving? Isn't this a good place? Yes, it's a good place. Good for me, good for my cattle, but I need to move. Why? Because God said so. Why can't you buy? Because God said so. Why can't you build? Because God said so. Keep moving. Keep moving. For how many years? For a hundred years. Keep moving. What do you own? Which land do you own? Nothing except that graveyard where my wife is buried. I own nothing. Do we understand their works or we appreciate their obedience? That's how the gospel begins in the gospel, in the epistle of Romans. The obedience that comes from faith. Why is that people today, with all the knowledge of the word and a thousand ministries beaming through radio and TV and all, very rarely experience God. Let us be honest, very rarely experience God because there is no obedience in our faith. 
We have a faith without obedience. And our forefathers, spiritual forefathers, had an obedience that came from faith. Think about Isaac in the midst of famine, not moving and planting and everything looks parched. Think about him not going to look for a wife for his himself and not picking a girl who is there in plenty and will wait for 40 years for his father to pick a girl. Why would you say he says? Because God said so. Think about Moses living in the backside of a desert for 40 years. If you ask him, Moses, what are you doing here? He says, I need to be here. What are you doing? Taking care of my father-in-law's sheep. Why? Because God said so. It's not the approval of man. It is the approval of God. Then at the age of 80, going to Egypt with one stick. One stick. Don't look at Galatians 1 and verse 10. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. If you please man, you can never be a servant of Christ. You cannot. This is what we have to fight with always. Fight with always constantly. We want to please man. I know the pressure all of you young people go through. It is true. You want to? You want to please God? Somewhere, little. But you also want to please your peer group. At the end, you fall down in the middle. You end up neither pleasing God, nor pleasing man. There's a saying in English that character is more important than reputation. Remember, reputation is what people think you are. While character is what you are. Problem is often we give up on character to gain a reputation. God did not choose Joseph or Mary because of their reputation, but because of their character. Because of their reputation. Reputation was people told them, oh, that guy, that fool, going around with a woman who is three months pregnant. God knows whose child it is. And that was true. God knew whose child it was. Joseph, this man who doesn't speak in the Gospels, will grow through incredible hardship because of embracing the will of God. We have no clue what this man went through. He's silent. And then finally six months later, the trip to Bethlehem. With a woman, his wife, nine months pregnant. The anxiety of the delivery in a stable. You look at Abel, you will see the anxiety on his face. You look at Priyanka crying last night, babies in the ICU. Poor Joseph. I believe he took the delivery himself. The fear, the anxiety, and then also imagine the joy of holding God in your arms. Right? Yeah, the first one. I believe it was not Mary, it was Joseph, the first one to hold God in his arms. Take the delivery. And hell, I know it is from prob- all probability Joseph because the nation where I grew up, 
was very, very backward those days and the husbands took the delivery. I still remember as a young boy when the Whitney's teacher next door, his wife was delivering power went, so he came to our house for a lantern. So my mother asked him, I can still remember hearing, I asked him, why do you need He said, my wife is delivering. She said, who is taking it? He said, I. So she said, but how will you cut the umbilical cord? He said, with a sharp bamboo so there is no infection. So men took deliveries and I believe Joseph did. No gloves. Okay, They did. One of the fundamental things you need to ask when you study history too, okay, like I said, ignorance is terrible. Terrible. Knowledge is good. If you understand something about human history is infant mortality was so high in the old days. You know that. If you had ten children, seven, six died. That's why they also had so many children. Only two or three survived. But when you read the book of books in the Bible, when you read the history of the Jews, do you see infant mortality? You know why? Because of the law he gave them both on food and hygiene. They did not die. That's why I said Leviticus is fundamental. You ignore it at your peril. They didn't need today's medical science to live long. They did not need today's medical science to overcome infant mortality because it was written in the law of God. You keep this, it will help you. That's why Proverbs 4 says the word of God is health to a whole man's body. Every other community went through tremendous infant mortality. The Jews didn't. Because they stuck to the dietary and the hygiene principles taught by God in his word, written in his word, and they kept it. And they lived. And they survived. So there I believe is a young man, Joseph, taking the delivery. First one to hold God in his arms. Can you imagine? Always. Can that record be taken away from him? Who is the first one who carried God? Me. Well, God carried everybody else in history. He says, I carried God. So, obeying God comes also with its frills, okay? Its benefits. And then the shepherds come. And the shepherds must have come and told them, you know what? Angels appeared to us and told us about that baby. Can you imagine the twinkle in Joseph and Mary's eyes looking at age? Yeah, angels. We know a lot about angels who come and talk about babies. Yes, we know. Then when he thought they were settling down, comes the wise men and the warning from God and the terrible flight to Egypt. How long he lay stayed in Egypt, we do not know. Then come back. We only see glimpses. The terror at the age of 12. I lost the son of God. Three days later, oh, we went to Jerusalem. He's gone. See, even God can get lost. So watch over your children. Can you imagine? Think, think of Joseph through the scriptures. Imagine the responsibility of Joseph. Joseph is called to be a father. Within quotes, father to Jesus. Yet the Bible says nothing. Joseph is silent. But if you want to see Joseph as a father, take a good look at Jesus as the son. And you will know he did a good job as a father. Excellent job.
God chose the right man to mentor his son. Through it all, through it all, Joseph is aware this child is not his. Only to care for. If you see how specific God is. In Luke 1 and verse 21, scripture says, okay, yeah, it was actually Matthew one twenty one, right? Or Luke one twenty one. Yeah, give me. Yeah, she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Very clear. She will bear a son. It is not that you will have a son. In Matthew 2.13. Matthew 2 and verse 13. What the scripture says. Now when they had departed, behold an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother. Never says take your child and the mother. Verse 20. Arise, take the young child and his mother. He always knew this child was not his own, but he raised him like his own. And the fundamental thing, principle you need to understand from this Christmas story from this man is all his decisions in his life after the first revelation about the baby going to be born is Jesus. Every decision in life is connected with that son. Every decision. Where he's going to stay, where he's going to move, where he's going to flee, which place he's going to live. Everything is connected with that one son. So will every man of and woman of faith realize. Once you have a revelation of Jesus Christ and he's born in your life, you will understand the movements of your life is determined by where Jesus wants to go. That is where the obedience from faith comes. There is so much that we can actually learn from Joseph. That's why God asked that question in Micah. That's in Micah 6 and verse 8, right? Micah 6 verse 8. He asked this question. He has shown you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy and to work humbly with your God? The question. It is through Micah that we know about Bethlehem. O Bethlehem Ephrathah, from you will come the ruler. But even Micah did not know that not only from Bethlehem will come the ruler, but will also come the man who will mentor that ruler, who would do justly who'd love mercy and walk humbly with God. This is something which we need to understand. There is something, so come towards the end of the message. It's a very short message today. Years later, the Holy Spirit will tell us something through the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews 13, verse 12 and 13. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. You see, we hear all the time about the honor and the glory associated with 
Jesus, being associated with Jesus. Oh, we are the sons and daughters of the king, the royal priesthood, all that we live like the son, claim all this like the son and the daughter. But we never see this. Let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. One fundamental fact you will understand from scripture is, through the Old Testament and the New Testament, almost every man or woman who chose to obey the will of God had to bear the reproach of Christ in their generation. And the reason we shirk away from the will of God is not because we don't understand it, because we understand it well. We want honor. We don't want reproach. We want honor. We don't want reproach. Reproach would mean to bear, to go outside the camp. We don't want to go inside the camp. We want to be inside the camp. What does it mean? As young people, you want to be with the in crowd. Isn't it true? You want to be in the in crowd. Everybody wants to be in the in crowd. Nobody wants to be out there in the fringes. Nobody. But to obey the will of God would mean to go outside the camp bearing his reproach. The question this Christmas, this season, the question God asks is, do you really want to obey the will of God and bear his testimony? Are you willing to go outside the camp? Anybody in the Bible, anybody in the Bible who is listed, it was different for a man or a woman to live in Israel in a community. But we are not called to live in that kind of a community. We are called in the world. Hebrews 11 and verse 26 talks about Moses esteeming the reproach of Christ. Moses esteemed the reproach of Christ while we esteem the treasures of Egypt. Telling you fundamental truths where we will go thus far and no further. No further. The reason is esteeming the treasures of Egypt is how do you define it in terms of question? What will people think about me? What will people say about me? Even the young people. Starting with their hairstyle to clothes, dressing sense. Everything is connected with the opinion of people. It's got nothing to do with God. God also has an opinion about everything. You read the Bible together from your hair to your beard to your clothing to everything God has an opinion. But he will reveal only to the people who are interested in God's opinion. World also has an opinion. When you have to choose between the two, you will realize choosing God's opinion also involves bearing the reproach of Christ. You think it was easy for Moses? The reproach of Christ. Do you think it was easy for Daniel? We read the Daniel and we'll suddenly look and say, oh, he took a stand and then the king Nebuchadnezzar made him a satrap. That happened how long later? What do you think all the boys from Judah said about to Daniel? You're a fool. You're just a fool. You're just a show off. They're talking about. Be a smart man. Join the in crowd. You want to rise in Babylon, be a Babylonian. Act like one, talk like one, dress like one. Enjoy man. 
Daniel said, no, I will bear the reproach of Christ in Babylon. Joseph said, I will bear the reproach of Christ in Egypt. Moses said, I will leave aside the honor of Egypt and bear the reproach of Christ among the Jews. Everywhere you go, whether you are among the Jews or whether you are among the Egyptians, if you choose to obey God, you will bear reproach. Don't ever think that because you chose to obey the will of God and God has sent you among Christians, you don't have to bear reproach. There you will see you have to bear reproach from them. Moses had to bear the reproach of Christ among the Jews, not among the Egyptians. Everywhere it is reproach. And much of our misery comes because we do not understand the will of God. We don't understand the will of God. And we struggle. Now we have knowledge. We know. We know. And therefore we are miserable. Because we know this is true. And we don't want to go outside the camp. We don't want to go outside the camp. We don't want to go outside the camp. We want to be in the camp. You know, if you look in the Bible, in the Old Testament, you will see all the men of God who bore the reproach of Christ in their generation. But the first person in the New Testament to bear the reproach of Christ was Joseph. He bore the reproach of Christ. He could have walked away from that situation, married another woman, and settled down to a normal life. But that day, in that dream, when God spoke to him through an angel, he had to make a decision. History will prove he made the right decision. But in his time, he looked like a fool. He looked like an absolute fool. But he made the decision and he chose to obey the will of God at great personal hardship and ridicule. This morning, God is asking us, are we willing to bear the reproach of Christ? To be a true testimony. Otherwise, another Christmas will come, stars will come down, will be put away in the locker to be brought up next year. Trees will be folded, decorations will be taken off, snacks will be over and we go back to another year. But did we really bear the testimony of Christ? Did we? Did we really bear the testimony of Christ? Has, did Christmas make any, any difference to anybody? Forget others, to ourselves, did it make any difference? Does all of our Christmas program, does it really add souls? Does it really add souls? The testimony of Christ is so powerful. Jesus really said, if you lift me up, I will draw all men towards me. Salvation is, can be real and genuine. Like I said to the people yesterday, founder of Salvation Army, General Booth, last stages of his life, ill in bedridden, was called to speak at the convention, annual convention. He couldn't go because he was so ill. So they asked him, can you send a written message which can be read at the convention? He said yes. And he sent a sealed packet. When they opened the message at the convention, there was only one word on the paper. What is it? Others. Don't live for the opinion of others, but live for others.
Joseph is the first man in the New Testament to lay down his life for Christ Jesus. First man. His entire life was defined by that one decision. And you ask yourself, yes, you made a decision for Christ maybe years back, but has it defined your life? Has it defined your life? Has afterwards the journey of your life, everything been connected with that one decision you made? It has defined your life. It should. It should define your life. That day, Joseph decided, I will obey the will of God. After that, he received Jesus into his life. And Jesus determined the course of his life, where he would live, where he would go, if he has to go to the world, whether he has to come back to Canaan, which place he has to live. Everything was defined by Christ. Literally. In our case, it is not literal, it is spiritual. It is decided by him. That's how you know you have bent your knee to the will of God. I will not dilute the gospel. Because I personally believe most of the people sitting in churches are not saved. They have just exchanged one religion for another. Because there is no radical change. Because salvation is a very radical life of God coming in. When Abel and Priyanka choose us to name their child Zoe, which means the very life of God. And every time what stuns me is the book of Acts. When I see the book of Acts, for me that is life. That is life. How did they live a life? How did they? 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost, when they decided to get baptized, they were dying to the Jewish community. They were dying. One man who was born blind when Jesus was alive for receiving his sight and refusing to deny Jesus was thrown out of the synagogue and out of his community. When 3,000 people went under the water and came out, they were finished with the Jewish system. Are we finished with the world? Are we finished? Why is that we don't face any reproach in the schools you study? Why don't you face any reproach? Why is that you don't face any reproach in the universities you study? Why is that you don't face any reproach in the offices where you work? Why? Because, as James says, we are double-minded. At church, we are believers. Tomorrow we'll be all unbelievers. And we laugh at the Americans when they become politically correct and say during Christmas season, happy holidays. We say Merry Christmas, but for all so practically it is just happy holidays. This is no testimony of Christ. Stand up, children, and be counted. Stand up and be counted. Joseph could be counted at 17. Daniel could be counted. David had to face the reproach of Christ for almost 14 years, they say, chased by a mad king. Chased by a mad king. The reproach of Christ. They were all bearing the reproach of Christ. We want the glory of Christ. Glory comes later. Reproach comes First, that's what Paul will say in the letter to Romans. If we suffer with him, 
we shall reign with him. Reign with him. Like on Mount Carmel, I was telling the pastors, everybody wants blessings. True blessings of God will never come first. First comes fire. Then comes rain. Mount Carmel, what they wanted was rain. What Elijah promised was fire. If rain had come before fire, the rain wouldn't have lasted. But because the rain came after fire, what did Elijah tell Ahab? I hear the sound of a thunderstorm. You better get away from this place. Otherwise you will be washed away by the blessings of God. You would be able to withstand the rain that is coming because the rain came after the fire. Ten days the church gathered in Jerusalem. Ten days. The fire didn't come on the seventh day or the eighth day or the ninth day. It came on the tenth day. Tenth day it came. Once the fire came on the tenth day, the world was never the same. This month, at the end of this month, I want the church to be very, very serious of 2017. Lord, enough. Enough of this lukewarm life. I'm tired. You need to be tired of this lukewarm. If this is the testimony of your people, I too want to be a testimony. I want to know what is the fullness of the Spirit. I want it. I understand everything in the Bible, in the New Covenant, is by the Spirit and of the Spirit. And I want it. If it is real, I want it. Otherwise, Jesus himself says, go and enjoy the world. Be hot or be cold. Being lukewarm is not an option in the kingdom of God. He gives you two options. What is that? Be hot or be cold. Be hot or be cold. Be cold. And if you choose to be cold, honestly choose to be cold, I will tell you, be just. You can be cold and be just. You know that? There are plenty of just people in the world. Plenty. They're atheists. Very just. Very just. And I would personally suggest to you that if you choose to go cold and say, okay, I don't believe anymore. I'm going into the world. Change your name. Don't take a Christian name. Say that. My, I'm not a Christian. My name, I'm changing. Because I don't believe. The problem is, everybody has a Christian name. Christian name. Everybody has a Christian name. Like a man of God was saying, one day they will testify of Jesus. A sports star in US will testify of Jesus. Tomorrow they will give an interview to Playboy. That's your testimony. That's your testimony. Who will believe? Who will believe? The testimony of this child who came to live, to die, to give us life. To give us life. You know, young people keep on telling, struggling, struggling. Why? Why are you struggling? There should be an end to struggles also, right? You should move to new struggles. That's what the Spirit of God does. It doesn't keep you in the same struggle all your life. You move to the next level. Next struggle, not the same one. Why? 
because you are not willing to bear the reproach and move to the next level. Take life seriously. Take faith seriously. Hebrews 11 is a record of people of faith. And everyone chose to bear the reproach of Christ. Be serious. Separate and be sent out. Don't be part of the world. You will not survive. I have nothing, I have nothing good to say materially about the days to come. Things are going to get worse. It's not going to get better. It will only get worse. But the joy that we have is what is promised. If you're being inwardly being renewed from glory to glory, then there is a joy that cannot be shaken by what is happening outside. Cannot be. To read world events, you don't need the gift of prophecy. You need just common sense. Just common sense. You know. We must be living in a fool's paradise if you think 2017 is going to get better for the world than 2016. Then you have to rewrite the Bible. It's not going to get better. It's only going to get worse. But we do not fear if there is an obedience that has come from faith. Then there is no faith in itself will not do nothing. Faith without obedience is worth nothing. You see how Joseph is directed by God wherever he goes. When a man steps out in obedience, God will direct his paths. Next place, next place, next place, next place. Provision is also there. Right? Does he go to Egypt? How does a Jewish carpenter go and live in Egypt? How does he take care of his family in Egypt? Who came? The Magi. The wise men came from how? Probably thousands of miles away. They made a two-year journey, came to Joseph's little hut and put what? Gold bars at his feet so that he could live in Egypt. That's how God does. God said, I can't trust the people of Bethlehem. I cannot trust the people of Jerusalem at all. But I can trust a few Gentiles who are far away. They will bring provision for my son to live in Egypt. All, Joseph, you have to do is be willing to obey. We struggle with provision. We worry about provision. But God said, that's not your problem. That's my problem. You only struggle and worry about your obedience. You and I, in 2017, decide, Lord, I'm going to obey you. Whatever it costs me, I'm going to obey you. Don't worry about provision. It will come. Let the government keep on changing the notes. Our provision doesn't come from notes. Our provision comes from God. Our wealth doesn't, our, our strength doesn't come from these things. Our strength comes from there. Our strength comes from there. And you young people, you need to study hard. But your strength doesn't come from your education either. Your strength comes from your consecration, not from your education. If you are educated without consecration, your education will take you down. But if you are consecrated, then your education will take you up. Daniel was first consecrated. But then when he was tested in secular subjects, he was found ten times better. It didn't come from just hard work. It came first. He was consecrated unto God. 
Understand fundamental principles of the kingdom. Yes, I get so many requests about exams and studies. Question is, are you consecrated? You have to work hard. You have to study hard. But understand kingdom principles. Understand. Principles are established in this heaven and earth will pass away. Not even a dot from God's word. It will not pass away. It will not. And the man who does the will of God abides forever. Abides forever. Joseph is dead. He did not speak one word in the Bible, but he still speaks to us. Still speaks to us. And he was just a simple carpenter. As I close, think for a minute. If you and I were God, would we pick a carpenter to foster our son? Would we? Would you pick a man like that? God was not looking at his reputation. As I close, I think about another carpenter from the state where I come from. In Kerala, preachers are called Ubateshis. Okay, Ubateshi is the term for a Pentecostal preacher. There was this carpenter who was an alcoholic who became, got saved mightily anointed by God, not literate, simple, rough, rustic language, used mightily by God. He died. So his name in Kerala ministry circles is Ashari Ubadeshi. Ashari means carpenter. Ubadeshi means preacher. The carpenter who preaches. Small little man. You have to hear and see his testimony. How he preached around the world. He preached to the UN. Okay, when he first went to US and he went to immigration, know how he went? He went to the immigration officer with his Bible on his head like this. And the immigration officer looked at him and said, Sir, why are you holding that book on your head? And he said, it is not a book. This is God's word. This book has brought me thus far. Another carpenter. Simple people. So we need to be able to, able to really humble ourselves and walk before and with God. Eyes haven't seen, no ears heard what God is preparing for people. That's something else. But Jesus also said, greater things than these you shall do. Do you believe? Do you believe for 2017, Lord, I want to consecrate myself. I want to be like Joseph. I want to learn from this man. I want to really consecrate my life. 2016 is almost over. Many of us must have wasted our time on silly things, you know, silly things. But Lord, I really want to set myself apart for you. You know, last Sunday's message was watch your tongue. Learn. We all made the mistake of talking too much. Now if you talk, talk scripture. We sit together, talk scripture. You know, the more you talk, other things, the more depressed you get. There's one thing about what God does. Once you are saved, if you go back to the world, you will never enjoy it. You will be miserable. Whatever it is, even if you buy a dress which you shouldn't buy, you will have a hangover. (laughs) 
And it is just God saying that I told you, I have come to live inside and I will make you miserable until you are comfortable with me. He has taken residence inside. That's why I said, when you read the Bible, you will see it is dangerous to invite Jesus for feast. He comes as a guest and ends up as the host. You invite him and if you think he's going to stay in your life as an invitee, you are mistaken. When he comes, he comes with one intention, to take over. Blessed is the man or the woman or the child who understands this and bends his knee and says, Lord, take over. Otherwise, you will be miserable until you surrender. If you really want to put aside all the things that bound you to the world, you cannot do this in your own strength. It is He who does. There is a step each one has to do. Throughout the Bible you will see God consistently speaking to men. One thing he will tell them is he makes his will known and then he says arise. It is he who wills and he who works out but it is we who arise. To Jacob he said you have dwelt long enough in Laban's land. Arise. God could give Joseph a dream. God could speak to him very clearly and powerfully. But there is one thing Joseph has to do. He has to arise and make a decision. He has to take an ar- a decision and move towards Mary. Every step he takes towards Mary, He's dying to himself, dying to his name, dying to his reputation and bearing reproach of Christ. But I promise you, by the strength of scripture and personal experience, every step you take obeying the voice of God, you will experience him as Emmanuel. You will know he's God with you. It doesn't matter whether he or she was a saint in the Old Testament or a New Testament. God was with those who bore his reproach. Ask Moses, As Moses who climbed with him the mountain on the last day of his life. As Moses who walked with him those 40 years in the wilderness. As Moses who closed his eyes and buried him. 
he will say Emmanuel my god faithful till the end ask paul who was with him when he was beaten and left for dead ask him when he was chained and thrown into the dungeon in philippi why could he write to us rejoice and rejoice cause he will say he was with me when he was taken for his trial abandoned by everyone why was he able to say i do not hold it against them because in the courtroom he didn't stand alone emmanuel stood with him as john in the island of patmos imprisoned by the emperor forgotten by the church but ask him on the lord's day as he was worshiping in his whose presence did he stand church this is real bible is not fiction It's real life lived by saints. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, because we have this cloud of witnesses encompassing us, put aside every weight and sin that easily ensnares. Let us keep our eyes fixed on Christ Jesus. this is a race but we do not run this race alone god never asked us to run this race alone in our strength he said i will be with you till the very end this morning if you feel weak you can come to the front because there is one who will meet you who is strong If you feel empty you can come to the one who said come to me Do not let one more year pass with a lukewarm existence But there is a God who loves us beyond words can ever express the most well known scripture is still the most powerful for god so so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son but he did not just give us his son to those who received his son he also gave his spirit i want to define the year that is coming 
and the years that are coming for each one here the time that is ahead as the years of the holy spirit in your life that each day you will choose to surrender and experience the fullness of the spirit that you will learn to enjoy the company and the presence of God the Father God the Son through the spirit everything in scripture was done by the spirit that's what we need if there is anything standing in the place blocking the spirit of god today let it go whether it is sin whether it is anxiety whether it is depression whether it is an infirmity it doesn't matter what it is scripture says cast your burdens onto him because he cares for you can tell god sick and tired or being sick and tired i just want you lord i just want you for poor young teenage girl mary could believe for young joseph could believe how much more we can to whom was is given the fullness of the spirit joseph did not see as far as we know scripture see the son he raised die on the cross and rise up on the third day and the spirit released 50 days earlier he didn't love to see that there's no record but he still obeyed We are the people of the new covenant. Believe. All things are possible with him or her who believes. Believe to empty. Believe to be filled. Believe to let go. Twelve years, twelve months are over, almost over. another year waits ahead father by faith i bring each one here standing in your presence they have risen from their seats they have come to you they have not come to me they have come to you they have come to the author and the perfecter of their faith they have come to the very throne room from where flows the river of life you said all the water thirsty drink drink freely and he said rivers of living water shall flow from your bellies cry out to god i want that river to flow from me life to flow from me 
Life cannot flow from me unless you fill me first with your life, O oh Lord. Let it flow. Let it flow, Lord. Touch your people today, Lord. Touch them. Let every bondage be broken in Jesus' name. Everything that has been holding them captive all these months, all these years be broken in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Whether it is sin or infirmity, let its hold over God's people be broken in Jesus name. If it is the opinion of man, let it be broken in Jesus name. Release a God your spirit the power of your spirit and boldness. When the church in Jerusalem was confronted by the Jews, they cried out to you. And your word says you fill them all over again with your spirit and with boldness. I pray, Father, the year ahead, your children will be bold to declare Christ. They will not be ashamed. They will not be ashamed of Christ. They will willingly and joyfully bear the reproach of Christ. As the great ones who have gone ahead of us. They are willing to be fools for Christ Jesus name. For his sake. We also acknowledge Lord we cannot do this in our strength. We cannot. We cannot. We need you. We need you Lord. Fill us, Lord. Cause us to hunger after you. We acknowledge we do not have that hunger. Cause us to hunger. You said in your word in Deuteronomy 8, you led them into the wilderness and caused them to hunger. I pray, Father, cause your people to hunger and thirst after your righteousness, after your spirit. For your word, create, O Lord, so that there would be a distaste deep within us for the things of the world and an enormous compassion for the people of the world, both the God. No distaste for people, compassion for people, distaste for the things and the ways of the world. Create that hunger and fill us with yourself, Lord, today. Not tomorrow, today. Now, Lord, begin that work, that deep work, O oh Lord, in each one of us here. We just don't want to go back the same way. We need strength, we need courage, we need boldness. We need that confidence. We need that experience that God is with us. We need that obedience that comes from faith. Help your children to take small steps of faith. One step at a time. And they will know you are God. Meet them, Lord, at their point of need. Meet them in their offices. Meet them at their schools. Meet them at their homes.
touch touch lord touch touch father touch your people as jonathan said god can deliver with few or with many in the eyes of the world this may be just a few but god can bring deliverance to this nation through this few in this room and release the hand of God over their lives. Arise, O God. Let your enemies be scattered. Let the hand of God rise over each life. The servant of God only saw the cloud as a small hand. But Elijah heard the sound of a tempest the world will only see little people but by faith you can create a tempest through every life that will shake this world lord touch young and old children and babies put aside every unbelief we lift your word above everything that we feel and we think even our babies fill them touch them they are yours even little madhuri in that i see you touch her fill her touch you people we declare We are yours. We belong to you. Use us for our glory. What we have experienced all these years, let it be nothing, O oh God, to what 2017 holds for us. Go before us, Lord. Go before us. And teach us to walk before you and be found blameless in your sight. so that truly we can please you by faith we want to please you father we want to please you that is the cry of our heart we want to please you everything that displeases you let it just fall from our lives to the ground and die only that pleases you remain our god thank you bless everyone bless every life let your blessing flow from them through them into the lives of others oh lord their colleagues their neighbors the friends who sit around them let your blessings flow because your word says it's more blessed to give than to receive we want to end up in your kingdom as givers as john and peter said gold and silver we may not have what we have we give we want to give out Christ oh Lord we want to give Christ out not just this season but through all the seasons of our life 
we want to give Christ out to the nations. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Father. We lift you up. We lift you up. And we bless your holy name. Bless your holy name. Thank you, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest and abide with each one of us. Amen and amen. Amen. Can we sing it as the disperse? Can we sing? Rishi, can we sing that song, Give Thanks for the Gate Flood? Very simple. Everybody knows the lyrics. Let's sing that song. Very simple song. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Jesus Christ, His Son, give thanks with a grateful heart, give thanks to the Holy One, give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ, His Son, and now let the weak say, I am strong, let the poor say, I am rich, because of what the Lord has done. song in your heart and in your lips through the day, through the week. Keep singing. Joy of the Lord is our strength.